from Salesforce Studios, this is Blazing Trails. Welcome to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Today's guest is Uber CEO Dara Khosra Shahi. On the eve of the Iranian Revolution in 1978, Dara's family fled to the United States. Dara was just nine years old. Fast forward four decades, and today, Dara sits as CEO of one of the world's most recognizable companies. In today's episode, Dara shares what it was like moving to the U.S. and how that experience has influenced where he is today. He also shares his plans for Uber's future and what systems they are putting in place to increase privacy, trust, and safety. But before we get to Dara's conversation, a word about WordPress VIP, who is making this show possible. WordPress VIP is the digital publishing solution that powers the world's top media companies, as well as marketing platforms for some of the best known brands like Time and Facebook. Later on in this episode, you'll hear more of our conversation with their CEO, Nick Gurner. And now let's jump into the conversation with Dara Khosrowshahi and Salesforce co-CEO, Keith Block. All right, I have a very important question. Please? And I've always wanted to ask you this question, but I never had the courage to do it until right now. Uh Uh-oh. You know that Uber rating that you have (laughs) as a customer? Yes, of course. How do I get mine higher? Uh, Just tip more generously. Seriously, it's all about cash? It's it's actually the, uh, we we display the tips to our drivers afterwards, after they rate you, because we we don't want that to affect your rating. Um, It's just being nice to the other person and respecting them. Okay, I'm doing uh, it's Yeah, it, well, you might be on the phone too much. One of the tricks, uh, uh, tricks of the trade is, when I get on my phone and, and I'm taking an Uber ride, I ask permission of the driver. I say, do you mind if I make a call? Uh, and that has helped my Uber rating move up a little bit. I don't know if it's uh, directly affecting it, but that was a great tip that I heard from a driver. What? Ask your drivers. What's your what's your Uber rating? I want to know. It's uh, I I've got some work to do. Four seven eight. Okay. What's yours? Uh, it's a little bit higher than that. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm four eight five. But four, you know eight, what? Five. I, All right. Well, then you've got to tell me what to do. No, I'll I'll tell you what I do. I get in and I start playing music. Nice. Yeah, and I say, you know, what's your favorite band or who's your favorite artist? And if I don't like it, I don't play their music. I play my music. That's very cool. And they're always very, very nice to me because they they start singing. And that my, my cousin is a four nine nine, and whenever she finishes a ride, she goes five stars, and then she leaves, and it just works. It's like, you know, it's, it's like a Jedi mind trick on Uber. Well, I take Uber home every day, and Thank I'm going to do the five star thing. Yes, and if I don't get to a four nine five. I'm going to say, I know your CEO. I'll tell you what he said. Um, Anyway, thanks for joining us. Happy to do. All right. Lots of good stuff. So you actually have a really cool story about how you came to the United States that I would love the audience to hear. So you want to share that? Sure. Uh, So my family left Iran uh, upon the eve of the Iranian revolution in 1978 uh, when I was nine years old. And we left Iran because we had to, because uh, our family certainly wasn't welcome uh, in the country anymore, and we had to flee the country to be safe. Uh, and we we were lucky enough to come to the U.S. when the U.S. welcomed uh, immigrants. Uh, certainly, times have changed. Mm. Uh, and I had an uncle who lived in the U.S. who had married uh, an an American woman and lived in the U.S. And we came to the U.S. and and stayed with them. So, uh, and and you know, my family lost everything in Iran. 
but we were lucky enough to come to the States and this is a country where you can rebuild. Yeah. Uh, and we were lucky enough to get a great education and, and you know, the rest is history, but, but this is a, I don't think people understand Americans don't understand, uh, in many ways, just how good we have it. You know, the idea that for example, with my, with my father and mother, everything that they work for just was taken away from them. You know, that is a completely foreign concept, uh, unless you're a billionaire and Elizabeth Warren wins. Um, but it's, it was a joke. Uh, That's why I laughed. The, the, the whole idea of, of being in a country with rule of law, where you're safe, where you're sound, uh, and hard work can, can, can get you somewhere, it is so precious. And it's something that, that I always hold to be precious because I've experienced the opposite, and certainly my parents have. Yeah, so not many people have gone through that experience, just as no. you suggest. I think, you know, we are in our in this country. Not to make any turn this into a political uh, conversation, but uh, there are many things that we can always do better. You know, there is a long list of what can this we do in this country to make it a better country. This is why uh, our company, and certainly the things that you've done at Uber, we're trying to impact the world. We think mm -hmm. business is a great platform for change. Um, <clears throat> But sometimes I think we should just take a step back and say, we should be grateful. This is a good place. It's a good place. Yeah. But okay, now we have work to do. You know what yes. I mean? But, um, but it's a powerful story that you have and it, it's influenced your leadership and, and how you lead your company. So do you wanna share your leadership style on that? I think that it's, it's affected me in a, in a lot of ways, but um, one is that, that I, I came to this place with a view of an outsider. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that until you're on the outside, you can't really understand what it feels like to be an outsider, what it feels like to be different. Uh, and Uber is such a global company. We have so many different, um, uh, uh, views and, and, and so many different countries in which we, we operate and so many leaders who come with different backgrounds and, and it's easy to say that you're gonna be an inclusive culture, you're gonna be an inclusive company, you're gonna be an inclusive leadership team. But I think that when, when you have been excluded and you've had to make your way in, yeah. uh, I, think, I think the influence that it's had on me as a leader is always to really notice in a meeting when someone isn't being included, uh, to invite people into the conversation, to invite different points of view in, into a conversation. And, and listen, it's, it's, I think it makes for better and engaged workforce, but, but it's actually very much in my interest as a leader. I think one of, one of the universal laws of life as a manager is the higher up you move in a company, the less you really know what's going on, right? And especially, when you become a senior, your vice president or CEO, the information that actually gets to you becomes filtered mm -hmm. through multiple layers. And every time it gets filtered through these layers, you, you lose some of the fidelity. You lose the real stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and you almost have this, this uh, group that, not, not for good, good or bad reasons, they want to control the information that gets to you. So you start losing touch with actually the heart of the company and the people who are doing the real work at, at the company as well. So for me, it's been a little bit of a design spec, coming as an outsider, understanding what it feels like, um, working hard to now you know, be where I am. My bringing in the voice of the outsider mm. 
Uh, one, I think, creates a better culture of inclusivity within the company, but second, allows me to hear these diverse voices, uh, which allows me to understand what's actually going on in the company so that I don't get surprised or I don't get hit, hit by the side, et cetera. So it actually works both ways, helps me, and I think makes the company a better, better company and a better place to work. So it's, in a sense, it's building a culture of leadership within the company. A absolutely, and I, th I think people confuse um, uh, leadership and management. You know, management is a contract based on where you are in an organizational chart, mm -hmm. right? I'm your manager because I have that title, I'm up here in the organizational chart, et cetera. And, and management is, it, it's a skill. Management is about the brain, right? But leadership is actually anyone at the company can lead, mm. right? You, you can lead the, the to me, the, the um, person who works in a green light hub. These are, these are physical uh, places that we have where drivers come if they have issues with their car, et cetera. You know, our green light hub worker who works his or her ass off to help our drivers, those are leaders at our company. So I think that part of this view of kind of an outsider understanding what it's like to be outside, et cetera, is I'm always wanting to put our company in, in a position where anyone can lead mm. and leadership is actually different from management and people feel empowered and they feel like they can make a difference. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's very important, I think, that our managers, our managers are there to serve their teams. Their teams aren't there to serve them. The, the higher up you go at a company, the more of, of service you have to be. And then you let leadership happen at all levels of the company. Yeah, I think that's a, a great message. I mean, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about uh, what Obama said this morning about identifying leaders and the leaders' leaders. Like you create multiple mm -hmm. waves, mm -hmm. multiple levels of leadership as part of that culture and that process. And it, it, it reminded me, I was, as I'm listening to you and I was listening to him about this book that uh, this historian, Doris Kearns Goodwin, yeah. wrote about Lincoln uh, called A Team of Rivals, which is essentially how Lincoln assembled his cabinet with people who were equal to or better than him, even yes. though they were rivals during the presidential campaign. So imagine that happening today. That was a joke. <laughs> so anyway, it probably wouldn't happen, but it, it's this culture of leadership that you're talking about. So you've had a lot of influences in your life. You've had an interesting journey. You've had mentors um, that I think would be really interesting. Do, do you stay in touch with your mentors? Who are oh, your mentors? Definitely. I'd say the, the, the most impactful mentor for me, certainly in my, in my professional career, is uh, Barry Diller. Uh, mm -hmm. He was a media titan. He moved from the media business to to the commerce business, and and uh, and really made an extraordinary adjustment. I, I worked with him for him for over twenty years. Uh, we stay in touch. I'm still on his board, on the Expedia board, where yeah. where I used to work, and and he's he's it, it's been an extraordinary relationship, and and for me, he's been an extra, extraordinary mentor. Yeah. Um. And and you know, for me, what what was interesting about Barry as a mentor is. Uh, that he was the one who was always pushing you to go further, uh, and and you know his his the, there's a um, studies that show that really you learn by doing as a person. You know there, there's some learning that you can get by by reading etc. by being trained. 
but the greatest learning that you have in life is actually doing. That's how you learn. Uh, and, and Barry is, would, and continues to take people who don't have experience in a certain sector, throw them into the deep end, and then let them learn to swim, because the best way to learn to swim is actually make them swim. Right. Uh, so it's been a great relationship for many, many years. So it's hard to believe this, but Uber is actually 10 years old. I keep yes, thinking, it is. It's, yes, I keep it is. thinking of, wow, it's only been around for a couple of years. But, uh, and you've been the CEO for over two years. Yes. And this is your company. Mm-hmm. And you have our company, but I'm okay. Well, very gracious of you, it. but yeah. you are one of the leaders of your company yes. to our last conversation. So you have a vision for the company and where the company is going to be and the Uber that you want it to become. So nobody's heard this before. So here's your chance to tell Uber. <laughs> so w- where we want to take Uber is Uber started as a ride as a ride hailing company. It's essentially, you know, a, a black car hailing company, right? And the way that we're thinking about Uber going forward is to make this transition from a rideshare company to really a mobility on demand company, mm-hmm. right? Which is Anyway, our, our job is actually to get you from point A to point B um, in a city, in a town, et cetera. Uh, and more and more, we want to give you, we want to open up our system, just like Salesforce has built out this open platform, essentially, for companies. We want to build out an open transportation platform for transportation providers to essentially put their services into our platform and make that transition from being a rideshare business to a mobility on demand service as well. So, you know, transit providers, taxi companies, uh, Lime bikes and scooters, our own bikes and scooters. Basically, we want to have any way for any any transportation method, whether it's ours or third parties to, to come into this app, and at the same time, we're looking to drive this transportation, uh, this this uh, transition of our eats business, hmm. which is about food, et cetera, you know, food, anything you want fast, to be about essentially powering all local commerce. You know, you think about a restaurant and a restaurant delivery. A restaurant is a box with probably 30 SKUs of inventory. It's hot inventory that has to get to your home very, very quickly. But you could extend that definition uh, to be anything. And for example, we bought a company called um, Corner Shop, which powers grocery stores and getting groceries, you know, small corner shop uh, grocery stores to your home. So essentially, we have these two big platforms. One is making the transition from rideshare to mobility on demand. The other one is making a transition from food to essentially anything that you want in your life at home. And you put that under umbrella Anywhere you want to go in your city, anything that you want from your city, we will either get you there or we'll get it to you. And that vision is one that we call essentially the operating system right. for your everyday life. Right. Uh, so we want to power your life. You want to go from A to B. You want to get anything you want in the city. We want to power that and we want to become that trusted partner for you every day to make life easier for you and essentially give you your time back. So I love the concept of painting it as the operating system for your life. Because it is a mobile world, people move, people want to be able to move in intelligent and safe ways, and that's, that's really your concept. Absolutely. It's, um, and, and you know, you really do, uh, the, the fascinating part of, of our company is that we are building technology, but it's, and, and ours is a tech-enabled company out there, 
but it's not technology that just lives in the digital sphere. Right. It's actually technology that um, combines the digital and the physical. Yep. Right. Yep. And and the physical world, physical world's a mess. Right. And for us, everything that you have to do in order to push a button and have a car show up within five minutes, push a button and have your Big Mac show up within 30 minutes, et cetera. Everything that you have to build uh, in order to make that experience predictable, mm. uh, repeatable, uh, and um, within a trusted ecosystem of services of riders and drivers and, and restaurants, et cetera, that technology challenge of almost digitizing the physical world uh, is incredibly challenging, but it's really, really rewarding as well. We're going to take a quick break now to bring you a conversation with CEO WordPress VIP Nick Gernert. WordPress VIP is the leading provider of enterprise WordPress, and they power companies like Facebook, Spotify, and more. My colleague Matt Jaffe sat down with Nick at Dreamforce to discuss how his company is grappling with topics like the future of work, digital transformation, and more. I want to get into artificial intelligence, AI. I think that's something that a lot of people hear it and they don't really know what that means. They're not quite sure what that's all about. How are you guys using AI at WordPress VIP? Yeah, I mean, I think what you, you hit on something critical there, which is like, there's something that is almost intimidating to folks about thinking about something like they're hearing these words, machine learning or artificial intelligence or uh, personalization, like th- concepts that you're hearing are important and that are into the future. But when it comes to practical application of those things, it's also somewhat unknown in terms of like, give me like, where is this happening, happening practically? I'm, I'm hearing How can I see it in my daily yeah, life? Like I'm, I'm just not seeing it in my daily life, maybe in that, mm-hmm. in that sort of thing. And it's that sort of tension that like, I always want to really empathize with folks uh, and think, how do we help them through this? Because it's actually through that sort of tension that sometimes people make the wrong decisions about doing something where they're like, okay, now I've got an AI vendor and we're working together and we're going to come up with something because I need to be able to say that we're focused on AI. And I, I really want us to challenge everybody to think more critically about like, where does this stuff, like, where is the practical application? Where is it going into the future? Because there absolutely are really exciting things happening here. Um, but it's also, let's be practical about like, what's the end result? Like, what are you trying to do? Like, what are the goals and the objectives? And let's make sure that AI and ML are in support of what that is uh, in doing that. Um, But some of the things that we're doing are like really exciting stuff that we're able to do on our site. So we run a massive, like massively distributed platform, WordPress platform, globally distributed and, you know, highly available. And one of the things that we have to be just prepared for is uh, the unknown when it comes to traffic uh, and and be ready for uh, whatever, you know, may be needed at any given moment. We are the platform behind, you know, if you, uh, you know, a 538 or things like this, where mm-hmm. you know, on a at an election or on a major sporting event, you're going to be uh, there's going to be massive traffic spikes. And how do you sort of predict and be available and have everything sort of ready? So and you can of, see it coming. I mean, you know ahead of time. Hey, this is going to be huge for us. Sometimes, yeah. And and so what's been interesting for us from an AI perspective is thinking about how do we apply that to um, resource provisioning so that we actually get ahead of when like a, a spike. Because there there are things like we know when an election night is going to be, or we know when the Super Bowl is, and right. like we can plan and and be ready for that. 
But things that we may not see under the surface are like, what's just happening like at a seasonality level that we haven't actually taken into account for and how do we provision resources? So we're leveraging AI to help us in uh, resource allocation so that we're maintaining uptime and, mm -hmm. and availability and performance through peak usage, but we're not we're not sort of waiting for the thundering herd to get there. Like we're trying, you know, the, the systems are You're working. You're better again. able to deal with the unexpected. Absolutely. I was talking at an event a couple of weeks ago uh, at this WordCamp and I was talking about our, I was showing an example of what News Corp is doing with AI on a, um, from a content production standpoint, breaking news is, is super important to what they're trying to do. And, uh, and so in a breaking news event, they're trying to get, you know, that content out quickly and often what happens is you sort of sacrifice on the production value of the content. You may just want to like get a paragraph and publish and, and ship it. And you're not going to necessarily maybe link off to other things while you're producing that content, because that's time that you could just get the article out there and you can come back to that. What we've actually been working on with them is there's, uh, they're now leveraging AI to scan the content and create relationships to where that content already exists within their you know, uh, within their applications. And so it may be a breaking news event about, let's say, you know, it's California and it's, we've been hearing about fires. Maybe I'm doing a, uh, a, a post about that. It's going to scan through that. And then it's going to do look through our uh, content indexes. Uh, and it's going to relate those contents and auto link a lot of this stuff for them. So they can go through and just quickly say, Hey, I want to, uh, I do want this to be linked or I don't but they're not having to go back and go through the process of finding that. And, and a big part of what's driving them is how do we, once somebody lands there, how do we not just lose them at that one thing? Can we direct them on to more to keep mm -hmm. them engaged with what we're delivering? How do you keep so, it going? Yeah, so how do we keep engagement? And so this is one of those areas where it's kind of exciting to see when you're talking about millions of pieces of content that they're managing across a network, like how do I leverage something like AI to, to make sense of a massive catalog of content and then help me sort through and create those relationships and serve like personalized content to that user without having to spend a bunch of time sorting through, you know, an archive that is impossible to really sort through and doing that. So I, I think you hit on an important point, which is a lot of people hear AI, they hear future of work and they think they're coming for my jobs. <laughs> right. But it's not about that. No. It's about an improved user experience at the end of the day. Yeah, it is. It is about a, an improved. And, and one thing that's just run, you know, consistent through my entire, you know, career has been, there's always been something that felt like it was coming for your job, you know, like even, even something like WordPress, right? Like if you, if you look at what WordPress is trying to do, it's lowering the barriers to getting a message out to your customers on the web. And there's a way to think about that and say like, oh, well, if that didn't exist, it would be slightly more technical. And then that might keep like, then I could, I could just focus on doing that. But what that allows you to do is say like, no, we can, we can solve that problem. And now we can focus on new and other interesting problems. And like this, this same story with AI, like this is, this is something where, okay, we're solving new problems and then we get to focus on, you know, we get to focus on what's next after that. And so that's what's exciting about this. It's like, let's, let's solve the challenges. Let's normalize those things so that people can really succeed uh, with the current tool set. But then let's also see, like, let's, let's think three years, five years down the road, what's going to be necessary. And let's focus on that. Let's not focus on how do we make sense of large data sets if we can solve for that today. That was Nick Gerner, CEO of WordPress VIP. To find out more, visit WPVIP.com. And now, back to Dara Khosrowshahi and Keith Block. Shifting gears here a little bit, uh, you know, the good news is that congratulations, you're a verb, right? We talked about that before you came out. But, you know, the importance of culture 
and in your business, for whatever reason, Uber seems to be a target. People have their comments about yeah. target uh, yeah. about Uber, and you know you could use the expression "lightning rod" if you want. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that when you came on as the CEO, uh, a big focus area for you was culture, yeah, and your leadership of culture. And so, how do you focus on culture of trust, which is so important given how people sometimes probably unfairly view Uber? I mean, listen, the the I I think that is it unfair or fair? Um, our company, you talked about our company being 10 years old, right? And, and our company has, has the growth of this company in 10 years and how we have been a part of this changing ecosystem of, of cities all over the world has been pretty extraordinary. And I do think that we went through this stage of, listen, we were, we were the rebels, right? We were the pirates. We were the change agents. We were going against like taxi interests, et cetera. Uh, and, and that building something truly from the ground up yeah. against kind of this uh, um, structured interest that didn't want things to change, that required a certain uh, almost rebellious behavior, right? It's, it's that Apple rebellious pirate army uh, kind, of, kind of early days. And, and I think that the business grew so fast that we moved from rebel to incumbent and we didn't even know it, mm. right? And once you do become a service, a company that's a multi-billion dollar uh, uh, business, you know, we do, we do 15 million rides a day now, right? And, and once you get of size, how you act the responsibility that you have in terms of communication, transparency to your drivers, to your riders, to the cities in which you operate, to the governments with which you work, et cetera, that, that responsibility becomes really significant. And the fact is, we had to catch up to that realization because we just grew too fast. Yeah. So I think some of the, you know, our being a lightning rod, et cetera, you know, that's deserve it. And, and it wasn't because I think we were, uh, that there were people who didn't, didn't uh, have the best intentions. We just grew up too fast. And then sometimes that happens as a, as a company. And now as a company, we are making that shift, right? We do understand that there are stakeholders. We're a company that we've got over four and a half million drivers and couriers who are on our system, who depend on us. Uh, sometimes in some countries for full-time work, more often in the U.S. for part-time work, right. for earnings, right? And, they, and they're on the system because they value the flexibility, but they also value the earnings as well. There's a deep responsibility there to these four and a half million users of our platform. There's a deep responsibility that we have uh, to our riders. There's a real responsibility that we have to our cities and the, and the changing traffic flows, et cetera. And we are now working very, very hard to pay back some of the debt mm. that occurred uh, and, and really becoming a trusted partner. And I think that uh, you, know, you lose trust much more quickly than you can gain it back. Right. And I think it's hard work to get it back, but I will tell you that uh, the people who work at this company are determined for Uber to be seen as what we truly think we are, which is a company that is responsible and a company that truly is going to improve 
the lives of all stakeholders that we're responsible to. Yeah, and you know, we were talking backstage about improving the lives mm -hmm. and that uh, with that many people, I mean, you're a large city, right? When you think about four and a half million uh, people who are part of your network, yeah, yeah. the volume of people who go through the Uber system on a daily basis. I mean, yeah, we, it's, it's incredible. We, we, we move more people uh, as a company than the than all of the airlines in the world move people on a daily basis. Yeah. So I, I don't think people realize that. And so there is a responsibility, right? Huge. To your employees, to the people in the network, to your passengers. And I know you are passionate about this. Like yeah. Super passionate about privacy and safety. So you should share that that passion with this audience. Yeah, I think um, certainly on, on the privacy front, it, it is incredibly important to get us uh, for us to get it right, which is, you know, we have location information, real time location information, and identity, and and listen, that is precious cargo that uh, is belongs to the user for the user. So one of our core ethos is, is we will use that information if we if we see that you're taking Ubers at you know going home every day after after work we will uh, you know your home will come up as the top destination etc. Right. But we're essentially going to use your data to serve you versus to serve ourselves. Yeah. I think that's incredibly important for us. And then for us safety now is a huge priority for the company. And we're making enormous investments in, in safety now, both for the driver and for the rider as well. I think a lot of people think about rider safety, but driver safety is just as important. There are two people in a car and, and, and things can go wrong. And for example, in the past two years, we have been by far the leader in terms of of our developing our safety ecosystem. So having a 911 button in, in the app right there on, on the map, essentially you can now text to 911. And if you text to 911, your location will be trans, uh, transmitted live. Uh, the make and model of your car will be transmitted live. You can now, with my, with my daughter, I can track her rides now. Mm -hmm. So I know when she gets picked up, when she gets dropped off, I promised her that I wouldn't criticize the time at which she gets picked up and dropped off. Uh, so it's an agreement there, but I know that she's safe, you know, and, and, and that's a big deal uh, for us as well. We are now developing technology and there's a pilot that we have in, in Brazil, for example, that, um, that, will, that based on permission will take an audio recording of your ride. Uh, and I'll ask permission for the driver and the rider for the, for the audio recording. And the goal there is if something goes wrong, yeah. first of all, if you have ill intent, you know, uh, people who have ill intent usually look for dark corners to, to kind of apply their trade, right? We want to light everything up in an Uber, right? We, we want to shine light upon your ride so that someone who has Ill, in, Ill intent hopefully doesn't do anything or, or go someplace else. Right, so that feature, for example, to record your ride, it's 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 you can't ha you can't access the recording. Right, but if something happens, if if uh, if an incident happens, it can go to us and and we can we can do something about it. Um, if you start and end at a trip, if if you say you're going home, we know how long the trip is going to take. We know the route that you're supposed to take. If for some reason, the car stops in the middle of the of, of your route. We now have ML algorithms that will reach out to you and say, "Keith, is everything okay?" Right. Right. So these are all investments that we made on the safety front. They're very, very significant, and and it is 
uh, making sure because we do 50 million rides a day, we want to make sure that the one in a million doesn't happen. So it, 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 it sounds like if you think about core values of the company, trust is certainly could be your number one value. Enormous. Probably is. Yeah. Enormous. Privacy, core value, safety. Absolutely. Core value. So this feature where you can actually track where people are going, I'm going to tell you a story. So this is my, my other personal story. So my 24-year-old uh, is using uh, Uber, and she has my wife's account. And it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and we're watching on the phone as it says, Bridget is going to Joe's Pub. Bridget is going to Ralph's Bar. <laughs> so she was going on a bar, bar crawl, right? Whatever those things are. And we just watched the whole thing. So Actually, thank you for that. We really appreciate perfectly it. Perfectly safe. And, and she got home. So thank you. Thank you for that. But it's actually kind of cool functionality. Anyway, sustainability. So sustainability for us is, is another passion, which is, um, you know, we're in the transportation business, but we want to make sure that our transportation is as sustainable as, as possible. One area that we're very excited about is actually London. Uh, so in London, we are uh, collecting a fee for every ride that's happening now. That fee goes into an account uh, that our drivers can use in order to purchase electric vehicles to drive environmental sustainability in London. So by 2025, uh, we are going to be all electric in London. Uh, and we're hoping that that can become a model for other countries as well. And we're essentially using our revenue to go out and fund a much more sustainable way, uh, method of transportation as well. But you know, the, the future that we see is it's got to be shared. And we think sharing is, is, is absolutely going to increase sustainability. It's got to be shared. It's got to be electric. And eventually it will be autonomous because autonomous will be safer some some period of time uh, uh, forward here. So I think by 2050 for us, we think that a shared electric uh, and an autonomous fleet can reduce emissions by 80% mm. and actually reduce the number of cars that we have uh, uh, on the road by 90%. Wow. You know, there's no, if you look at a car right now, the utilization of the average uh, car that people own is 5%. Right, so it's five percent utilization. Ninety-five percent of the time, cars not used. You think about all of the parking, et cetera, that's required in the cities. All of this infrastructure that is not serving people, but it's actually serving these cars that are utilized five percent of the time. Um, that is not something that makes sense for society. And for us, driving that utilization and essentially removing the need for car ownership mm. is something that we think is great for the individual, but it's also going to be great for the cities in which we operate. So Uber does a lot of things for a lot of different organizations and cities. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that these are stories that, that have come out and they will come out. One, one that you and I somewhat got involved in was with Carnegie Mellon in the city of Pittsburgh. And yes. they're like any city. Pittsburgh is not unlike any other city. There are some pretty bad areas that are underserved. Um, there's no uh, there's no transportation, no public transportation. Bad in, when I use the word bad, I mean bad in the sense that the city is not doing the job that it should to, to take care of those areas uh, and to help them out. And Uber did something really cool where uh, people who are living in this area, they can't find work because there are no jobs in that particular yes. section of the city, but they could go uh, uh, with your help because Uber provided vouchers yes. to travel to other areas to find jobs. And magically, what happened to that area? The economy got better, um, health got better, 
uh, crime went down. It was all goodness. But this is something that you do. Yeah, and it, it's every city has its transportation deserts, we say, or transit deserts uh, in these cities. And, and listen, they, they tend to be not in city centers, right? You and I are lucky enough to live in city centers where there's plenty of access to, to transportation of all kinds, uh, buses, transit, et cetera, but, but not everyone is that lucky. So uh, Uber, uh, systematically in general, we are growing much faster in these transportation deserts, yeah. uh, and we are actively going out and working with different cities to have voucher programs, et cetera, so that you can provide, you know, transportation represents freedom. Transportation represents uh, opportunity. Right. Uh, and we want to be an active participant in making sure that opportunity is available uh, for everybody. The unfortunate um, byproduct of, of some of the things going on in cities, for example, in New York City, is that New York City has put some legislation together that essentially limits the number, the, the amount of uh, drivers that we can have at one time, right. uh, which increases prices for a service. And also, if you limit the amount of Uber supplies, all of the cars then go to the center of the cities. Mm -hmm. So they, because that's, that's where you've got the greatest number of hails, the greatest number of rides, et cetera. So actually, some of the, the difficulty that we're having in kind of talking to our constituencies like New York City to serve the whole city, but then serve our, our, our drivers as well, is that if you actually restrict the number of drivers out there, the drivers go to the middle of the city, and the people who live mm -hmm. in the city uh, outskirts, the people who can't afford mm -hmm. higher rates, actually are the ones who are hurt the most. Yeah. So we want to make sure, again, the, this, the, the, you, you, you talk about kind of stakeholder capitalism, right? We're a company, ultimately, we have to make money, et cetera, but there are so many stakeholders to serve here, and these cities, they're living organisms, and, and we have to make sure that as we go forward and work with our cities, we don't, um, uh, we don't decrease our availability of transportation and mobility to these neighborhoods who need it most. Yeah. Which is a great story, and and this sounds like a, a perfect example of where the public sector and the private sector can work together. Absolutely, to do the right thing. Absolutely, right? and everybody benefits. Absolutely, so. and and actually, for example, we're we're now working with a lot of transit providers on taking on providing bike rides, scooter rides, sometimes Ubers uh, to. Uh, a transit hub yep. so that then someone can take the rest of their ride using transit as well. Very cool. All right. So you've run two digital first companies, right? You did the Expedia thing. You did the Uber thing. You see the future. What's the future? What's the next generation of companies? I can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, but I can't tell you much beyond that. Um, right. Well, we'll take it. You know, I think, I think listen, the, the, for, for me, what's, what's fascinating and it's a challenge, you and I were talking about this uh, backstage is, is that companies like ours, digital companies, but especially like Uber, that, that's digital, but working in the physical world as well, we really have to make sure that we are building services that, that do serve all of our stakeholders out there. Uh, and, and I think that the success of some technology companies uh, have been too focused in areas like San Francisco, you know, like it's it's the, the success and the capital and, and all the fruits of these labors have 
have been too restricted. It's been too small a population, and we have to make sure that as we win, our stakeholders win. And and you know that takes a lot of effort. It takes uh, a lot of of dialogue. Um, and ultimately, I think that for the next generation technology company to succeed, all of the stakeholders and societies around them have to succeed as well. I mean, that, that is, that's a must have for us going forward. And it's easier, frankly, said than done. I think that's a great message for everybody. Um, so we've got a lot of young people who are aspiring CEOs in the audience. So do you have any advice? Uh, you know, I'm, you're, you're going to have to give them advice as well. I, I'd say the, the one thing that I, I keep telling young people are, are actually don't over plan your life. You know, all of us have, have biases. And uh, when you make these long-term plans, listen, the, the, the world now is changing so fast that I think one of the greatest determinants of success is, is gonna be actually how quickly you, you can react to the changes rather than having a plan and then blindly following that plan. So one thing I would tell young people is, actually, don't over plan. Mm -hmm. Because when you overplan, and, and, I, and I've seen people make mistakes all the time, you know, I've got to be VP by X age, or I've got to make X amount of money by Y age, I've got to have this, this, this title, I'm looking for a title, et cetera. That creates a biased view of your future that very often is going to prevent you from seeing the opportunity right next to you that's staring at you in the face because you, 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 you want to go there. So keep your head on a swivel, look for opportunity. And, and the other thing that, that I tell you that's really served me uh, through my whole life is I've always focused on whom I'm going to work for mm. rather than what I'm going to do. And um, by focusing on whom I'm going to work for, the, the, you know, so many things change in life. Uh, but what I've, what, what I've seen is unchanging is great people stay great. Mm. And... Uh, my going and working for great people has allowed me, one, sometimes they succeed, so I get to kind of bask in their success as well, right? I get to ride on their wake, and then I learn from them, and I can kind of create my own wake as well. So don't, don't over plan, focus on whom you're gonna work for rather than what you're gonna do. Th those would be my two pieces of advice. What about you? I think that's great advice. I mean, this is a, we could talk about this all night. I, I, I would give two pieces. One is uh, follow your passion and understand what your true north is and follow that. And typically your, your gut is right, your instincts are, are good. Uh, and if you stay true to that, it will bring you down to the right path. So I think following your passion is really important, whatever that passion is. The other is when you do become CEOs, because you will become CEOs, is that when you create that company, create a culture based on very strong values. Hmm. Because no matter what happens in that company, as long as you stick to those values, whenever things hit a rocky patch, and trust me, they will, because every company hits a rocky patch, you can ground, you can, you, everything can be grounded back into those core values. So I think follow your passions, understand who you are, your true north, and then establish those values for your company. And I, I think that makes a huge difference. It's good advice. So, my friend, final thoughts for this group? Final thoughts is do what he said. <laughs> All right, Dara, thanks for being with us. Really Thank you very it. much. Thank you. That was Dara Khosra Shahi, CEO of Uber, and Keith Block, co-CEO of Salesforce at Dreamforce 2019. 
If you enjoyed this conversation and want more like it, be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. That'll do it for another episode of Blazing Trails. Thank you for listening and thank you to WordPress VIP for presenting this show with us. We'll be back next Thursday with more great conversations like these. Blazing Trails is a production of Salesforce, a customer relationship management solution committed to helping you deliver the personalized experiences customers want. So they'll keep coming back again and again. Salesforce, bringing companies and customers together. Visit salesforce.com slash learn more.